Ladies and gentlemen, want to be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Sherston. Hello, my name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. Today on the pod, we have one of Australia's leading lifestyle and performance coaches, who is also, full disclosure, a longtime family friend. Um, he, in fact, slept in our spare room when he first arrived in Sydney, probably about 15 years ago, with nothing but a suitcase and a shitload of ambition. And look at you now, Blake Worrell Thompson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Charlotte. Um, right, let's just kick off just for some context, because I've had a lot of people on who've been authors and they're kind of plugging their books. So um, I wanted to sort of let our listeners know a little bit more about what exactly it is that you do, what a coach is, because for some people that might be something they only know in the context of soccer practice, um, and also a little bit about the programs that you've been running, Momentum and Limitless. Beautiful. Um, well, yeah, very quick backstory. Uh personal trainer for kind of 15 years and, and over the last kind of three to four years of that I really started to want to have a bigger impact than the sets and reps and steamed broccoli of the four walls that make up the gym and for me it was always about human behavior and how I could have a bigger impact um, on all humans and understand them understand what makes them tick understand what gets the best out of them understand where all their baggage comes from um, and that kind of led me down the path of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and then that opened the kind of can of worms that is now the coaching space that I'm in. And I guess in terms of coaching, um, how do I describe it? It's really, I mean, every coach is slightly different, you know, but it really at the core of it is a um, someone that is, you know, that you're accountable to, that holds space for you, that can kind of allow you to um, unpack the stuff that's not necessarily working for you, provide you with solutions and tools, and hopefully make your life a little bit easier and, I guess, make you a little bit less crap as well. So that's probably a little bit about the coach, but, you know, I guess the big thing in any coaching space is you really want to find that person that you resonate with you know, because there can be coaches that have got all these, you know, impressive letters next to their name. And if you don't click or you don't connect with them, then it's probably not going to kind of last too long. So it's really important for you to find someone that you resonate with um, and obviously someone that specialises in the field that you want to work with. It's relationships, performance, you know, mental health, whatever it may be. So that's the coaching space. In terms of the programs, Momentum is our men's program, and I run that with two business partners, and that's very much obviously for um, men exclusively. And for us, a big reason for getting into that was we found the men's space really cringy and really not many options for um, our kind of blokes who might want to dip their toe in the work for the first time. And I think we're about to see a, an explosion of men doing the work, um, you know, probably over the next three to five years kind of just you know we're just opening the can now um so that's an exciting position to be in to kind of be you know our big thing was always to, to, to remain relatable to your average kind of aussie bloke which we tend to think that we're pretty good at um and then for me you know the one-on-one coaching which i love both male and female and limitless is my 12-week program which is very much around a deep deep understanding of self which um, the more people go into kind of self-awareness and understanding themselves, the more they realise there's so much that you can unpack. 
And then through that deep understanding of self, really moving all the barriers out of the way so that you can become, as I like to say, limitless. Excellent. Um, what I always find interesting is that, so when someone comes to you, have they already done therapy and this is an add-on? Is this before therapy instead of therapy? Because obviously some people have deep, dark, twisty problems and do you go, whoa, okay, this is, this is, this is too much for me? Or should they do it alongside? Like where, where does it sit generally with the people that come and see you? Yeah, it's a good one. It's like there's obviously a very big range of um, problems, I guess, that people are going through, you know, and I kind of almost the scale that we use is pain to performance. You know, like if you're in a real dark place, um, you know, obviously there's, there's areas that I would never touch and can't touch just due to legalities and obviously my accreditations. And that's best for psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever it may be. In terms of who comes to me, I think probably 50% of people would come to me not knowing exactly what they want, but essentially wanting to be better. You know, it's like, well, I don't know what coaching is and I'm not really sure, but I resonate with your messages and, you know, maybe a couple of things that you posted on social media really hit a spot and I just felt the need to reach out and start working. So for those that haven't done any form of, coaching um sometimes you know you'd be amazed it seems simple to you know i obviously know plenty about your backstory and you know the environment you've got yourself in you know in terms of good people around you but a lot of people actually don't have a really strong soundboard that they can just go to talk to you know there's an art to listening and it's an art that actually not that many people have um perfected so you know for a lot of people the coaching is just someone who is a neutral soundboard who they can go to talk to get ideas and essentially not necessarily tell them what they want to hear but what they need to hear in in order to move forward in you know some area of their life so um the coaching space is big it's getting bigger and you know as i said at the start i think it's really important that um you find the right person and I'm amazed when someone says they don't need a coach because if you look at the world's elite performers, the Michael Jordans, the Oprahs, the, the Barack Obamas, they've all got their own coaches um, and call me a little bit biased, but I think everyone should have a coach in some area of their life. And it's amazing uh, that people do it with other things. They'll do it with their fitness or, totally. you know, they might go and see a financial advisor about their finances. Mm. But as someone was saying the other day, I was working on a marketing strategy with them and I was like, we need marketing strategies for our lives. That's what we need. You know, we haven't worked out, you know, the pillars might be your values or whatever, but most people, you're too busy living your life to actually go, hang on, is this working? Am I enjoying it? Um, and, you know, the listening thing's hard for me. I, I'm trying. And that, and that, as you say, that's that's something that people just want to be heard. And it's nice mm. to be heard by someone maybe that isn't in your immediate circle and isn't as biased or just saying, you've got this, babe, you go girl, you know, or yeah, he's an arsehole or whatever it might be. Um, so not always maybe... Yeah, as you say, saying what they want to hear. Now, what I want to dig into, because I think you're in quite a privileged position in the fact that you, with the personal training and now with the coaching, you've spoken to so many different men and women about their struggles and the the problems that hold them back and and those sort of things that I I sort of wanted to dig into. There's probably only a handful of things that just come up again and again and again. We like to think we're all unique beings, but not necessarily. So... Sort of pertaining, because you do a lot of stuff around relationships, I kind of wanted to, if we're talking about reaching potential in maybe relationships, um, I wanted to see, like, what are the common complaints you, you in the groups that you work with with men that 
what are the problems that you hear that they're having either in their relationship or trying to find the right person? Are there some common themes there? Yeah, definitely. You know, with men, I think one of the biggest challenges for them is, um, and this may sound strange because so many women don't realise they do it until they realise they do it. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of actually emasculation, castration and, and the ball and chain that happens from women towards men. And um, there's, a, there's a lady by the name of Alison Armstrong who wrote a book called The Queen's Code. And for me, if any female comes and works with me, I'm like, you need to read this book first. And in that moment when they read that book, they're like, oh, shit, like I really have emasculated and castrated um, my man in, in so many ways. And there's a lot to be said for empowering him in order to also get your own needs met. You know, if he's feeling empowered and he's feeling like a strong masculine man, then he will serve you in, in ways that, you know, the lazy man might not necessarily. But you beat him down, it's not the best environment for him to want to come and, you know, serve you and, and be the best version um, of him toward you. And, you know, I think when we look at um, men and, you know, we did probably about four months of research before we started our business and speaking to so many women and the two most common themes from women that they really struggled from, a, a, you know, the men's point of view was a lack of integrity and also an ego that was potentially a little bit out of control. So could you give sort of a, like real life examples so people can kind of get a, a handle on both of those? Totally. So if you're, I don't know how deep we're going to go into this, but if you're looking at the masculine and feminine, which is, which is essentially an energy, but let's say feminine for now is the female. The female likes to kind of be, to be able to surrender and be looked after. That can't happen if there's a lack of integrity from the male. And what I mean by that is, do their words match their actions? Because every time it doesn't, there's a lack of integrity and you start to kind of not necessarily trust fully. Chips away at it, yeah. In the masculine. And, and often, you know, if I'm, if I'm working with a client on this, it's not a case of like overnight they did something that you, you don't trust the masculine anymore. It's just a little bit often time and time again. Obviously, if there's cheating or something like that, different story. But for a lot of people, it's just a little bit, you know, time and time again. And then over an extended period of time, you don't necessarily trust the masculine anymore. And that's, you know, where you kind of obviously start to get quite disheartened by um, the status of the relationship. So ego wise, you know, is a very interesting one. And, and, you know, you've known me well enough to know that I can definitely relate to that one quite well. Um, that's, that's a super common theme as well. You know, that is, is a real unattractive trait in many males that, um, the females kind of are really turned off by. So those are a couple of things that um, are super, com super common. And I think probably one that isn't spoken of much that blokes really struggle with is just confidence, you know, and confidence is obviously covered by ego for many of them. But there is, a, you know, when you kind of get the blokes softening and not trying to, you know, beat their chest, there, there is for a lot of guys a real lack of confidence and, and a desire to build confidence as well. So I think, I think that's sort of universal of everyone. As soon as you see below the surface, whoever they are, someone's usually struggling with something. And 
you know, that, I know you talk a, a lot about that, about sort of us being our true, authentic self, um, which I think is kind of funny because if I think about when you're first dating, like you don't want to be your true, authentic self, like from the get go. You don't want to lead with, I'm kind of neurotic and, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. So I think you also have to drip feed your authentic self at the mm. beginning. You don't want to yeah. come in too fast. Nah, you're a pretty polished version when you're first dating, I think. Like, we're all pretty polished. So um, if you start talking about your year four childhood trauma on the first date, I think you've just brought up a little bit too early. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing about love. I always say that it involves so much trust because you're basically looking at someone and saying, here I am in all my glorious weirdness, please love me. Um, and often, I, I, I've literally seen this with friends of mine that I don't think the partners have seen themselves properly until they've had kids because you, mm. you can't you can't keep faking when you've got kids because you're tired and you've you've got people and all the stuff that you had from your parenting comes back and everything but by then it's too late you, mm. you don't know if you don't love that person then it's you know you've kind of fucked it so um yeah so uh women what do women struggle with with guys what are they i would just actually want to flip back to what you were saying about and it's so true about we are to blame for a lot of things. Like I created a whole group of people around me that cannot survive without me. Mm. Um, I pack for my husband. <laughs> so some of it's very nice and I'm serving him and being nice about it, but some of it is taking too much control. And there's a lot of that, um, you know, women sort of, oh, my husband oh, goes to pathetic or he can't do it. Eye rolling, you see it on ads on TV, the mm. idiot husband, the idiot guy. And I, I can see how that must for a bloke start to really kind of make you feel not you know powerful or confident and and that and it's also unattractive it's 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 big and it's you know like if every bloke is is laughing about it at the pub on a friday night about the old ball and chain then it's probably a dynamic that we don't necessarily want i don't think like that to me doesn't sound like the perfect way to describe a relationship so I think there's a lot to be said you know as we spoke of earlier the, the desire to empower him and you know how, how could how could i do that how can i yeah, empower tom yeah so, so empower tommy um it's more a case of really being able to bring it bring light and bring attention to the, the things that he does do well and what i mean by that is it might be small but if you make something of it he'll be like fuck that feels good you know, mm. like he's up and about, he's got a little kind of, a little bit more swagger in his step. Instead so of just picking apart the, yeah, complaining, it's the nagging totally. side, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a big difference between, fuck Tom, you know, this is the fourth week in a row you haven't taken the bin out and the time where he does take the bin out and you're like, oh, it feels so good to be supported. I love when you do that. You know, it makes me feel um, hot. Like I, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like literally if you say that, he'd be like, fuck, I'll take the bin out every morning. Like that's that's the compliment I need before I go to work each day. So there's a lot to be said for really, you know, and, and if for whatever reason, you know, your man isn't doing all that many things well at the moment, but, you know, if you can find those one or two things and really make, a, you know, essentially make a, you know, a nice scene about it, he'll want to repeat that in order to get the, you know, the positive words and the, um, affirmations that have come from you. Okay, so now, so on the other side, and you've spoken to loads of women, I mean, especially when you were mm. doing personal training, of which I was part of the six weeks to sexy. It took me a bit longer than six weeks to get sexy. But um, uh, no, I thank you very much for that because that started me on a, a journey back to fitness, which has carried on to this day with a few blips here and there. Um, so you've spoken to lots and lots and lots of women. So apart from women 
hating their bodies. What <laughs> what problems do you see universally that they struggle with in relationships or trying to meet a guy? Like I think sometimes with the meeting, their expectations are so high. I listen to girls going, oh, well, you know, I want this, I want that. And it's not about what you want in love. It's what you're mm. going to give. But that's just me blurting in my bit. You, totally. you. I like that a lot. There's also a lot to be said, you know, for, for a lot of women, there's a desire to um, actually like, as, you know, this may sound strange, but actually feel their partner. You know, for a lot of blokes, we're very much in our head and it's very like analytical, logical, but actually to feel his presence and to feel him properly is a significant part. And, you know, for it's a really interesting dynamic because for a lot of blokes, the majority, they're really hell bent on their career. You know, which if you go into the fundamentals of the masculine and feminine energy, the, the fundamentals of the masculine is like they need, you know, their passion, purpose or mission to be on point. You cannot get the best out of the masculine or out of a male if he isn't in a career position where he's really passionate about it. So while, you know, in our head for a lot of the, the, the women, it's like I want me to be number one in terms of relationship. He, he's not going to bring his best unless he's got, you know, he's really clear on his passion, purpose or mission. Well, it tends to define men, unfortunately, that, you know, what do you do or, you know, it, it, it defines them and, and it's often related to finances, though it shouldn't be. Um, and, and you can see that, the, the confidence that mm. comes when people start being successful, um, you know, and, and I don't think it is just about the money. As you say, there are certain people who are fueled by that and if that's their mojo, fine. But better still, if you can find something that really, you know, kickstarts you getting out of bed in the morning. Well, I think, you know, if you speak to, to women, the, the, the money ones are really interesting um, one, at least from, you know, my experience is they'd prefer to see their, you know, husband partner on, you know, let's just throw some random numbers out of like $100,000, but absolutely loving what he does and that spark in his eye and that kind of fire in his belly than a guy who's just sitting at a desk, you know, plugging away with numbers, no inspiration whatsoever, bringing home 170, 180,000, whatever it may be, but like nothing about him. And without kind of getting to like triple X on your um, podcast, you know, there's a guy called David Dade and he, he says, if a man isn't penetrating the world with his, you know, passion, purpose or career, then he's not going to penetrate his partner properly either. And I yeah. think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. If you're feeling flaccid, you're going to be flaccid. Yeah, he's literally a wet noodle just like <laughs> rolling around not doing much, you know. So I think there's a lot to be said for doing whatever it takes. And that may mean, you know, that you need to reinvent yourself two, three, four, five times, which is absolutely you know, fine, but find what it is that, you know, Well, really also keep looking, keep being curious because as soon as you sort of think that you're there, wherever there is, like even, you know, you're in a great place now, you're really happy with what you're doing, but you're always trying to find the next thing. So kind of dig around a little bit in your story if you're okay with it. Um, yep. So obviously now you're cruising around Byron, you're doing long distance races, um, you know, changing people's lives one call at a time. Um, but you have had a few bumps along the way. Uh, a few years ago, things went really south. Are you happy to talk a little bit about that? And I know sure. you've done it before. It probably sounds like a broken record to you, but a lot of people wouldn't have heard that listening. And I, I think it's amazing because if you wrote it as a sort of a TV show, it'd be like, oh, come on, not that. No. Oh, what, that as well? It'll be a comedy. Mm. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> Absolutely. So talk us through it. How long ago was it when things just went tits up? 
It was actually, it's coming up to three years. So, um, and I remember the date clearly because the trustee is the name of the person who signs off your paperwork. He made a bit of a joke about it being Friday the 13th. So it was uh, the 13th of June, um, 2018. Yeah, 2018, we are filed for bankruptcy. And as you can imagine, and, and definitely any bloke that's listened to this, that is like the pinnacle of the bottom for the masculine who, you know, is hell-bent on their career and, you know, you've known me long enough to know how passionate I'm about. And to career. all intents and purposes, you you looked like you were you were killing it. You had a, mm. you know, a huge successful business and you had yep. all these people turning up and you were telling me, you know, saving money and it's all great. So, yeah, so it wasn't like everything looked like a disaster. Mm. Well, it's, it's, yeah, and you can definitely find yourself um, running a healthy business and make a complete mozza of your financials as well. So for me, I was $275,000 in debt with the tax Ouch. and, yeah, which stings. Um, and, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I'm going to find a way back. I'm going to find a, back, a way back. And, you know, the position I was in was really a case of a lot of ego a hell of a lot of like limiting beliefs, lack of awareness and just completely delusional. And, you know, again, probably maybe skill set as well around kind of managing my finances. Well, it's so- also hard because you're in a business where you're kind of, although it was more training, you're still trying to show people, you know, I, this is how to do it. And you're teaching people and you're meant to be representing, obviously, what you're telling other people. So then it's it's a lonely place because you can't really admit it because then the whole house of cards comes down. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and Again, so you know, for a lot of for a lot of males, there's a there's a level of pride that comes with that, and to wave the white flag and and essentially hang the boots up is a really challenging thing. And you know, if you look into a lot of the um, suicide around men, it's a lot of it's you know when their businesses sink, or you know, so much of it goes on when their their um, relationships break down that um, you know they're just like all their eggs are in one basket or two baskets. And when that basket's taken away, it's like, well, what the fuck do I stand for without it? Mm. And for me, that was a really, you know, challenging moment. Um, But it was also the the start of like a 15-month capitulation of just everything where, you know, I got fired from three jobs. I applied for over 50 jobs, couldn't get anything. The girlfriend and I parted ways, you know, car blew up. I moved into state twice. Um, And then, you know, the final piece for me, I remember speaking to Janelle, one of my business partners, and I was like, mate, like I literally was stripped bare, stripped bare. And I remember, you know, saying to him, mate, at least I've like, at least I've got my physical and mental health and God bless his cotton socks. There was absolutely no way that I had my mental health at that stage. <laughs> and the week after I ended up in, in hospital with what they thought was meningococcal. And I was like, fuck, all right, I surrender. You know, and for me, that sounds really disempowering. Was that, that actually your body just sort of collapsed? Was it stress related totally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I had blurry vision. I was blacking out. I was like sweating, like you've never seen anything before. And I was like, okay, I wave the white flag. I surrender to like the universe and just like, show me what I need to see, you know, and, and like help me find a way out. Cause I don't know where I'm going next. So at that point, I literally, the definition of had nothing moved back in home with my mum, and started as a dish pig for my brother at his cafe. And from there, you know, kind of started to build myself out. And I think, you know, when I was in Melbourne and, and I was, you know, halfway through rock bottom, you know, I had, I had some real dark thoughts, you know, unintentionally, but there was a lot of pressure coming from me externally of the people that I was around. I was like, mate, you've got to like, 
you got to find a way to get your shit back together. And I was still on the way down. And, you know, I was applying for fucking jobs, getting knocked back by everything. I think it ended up being 52 jobs I got knocked back from, which when you're down an hour, like. Just <laughs> That's a lot of jobs. It's <laughs> a lot of jobs to get knocked back from. Do you know what? So just quickly, I actually got fired from your dad's restaurant, which was my first job. And I was like, what the hell? Mm. I've been fired? I mean, I had so much super self-confidence then. Yeah. And it was actually interesting. But he just knew that I was I was kind of taking the piss. I was like pretending to be a receptionist <laughs> when really I had lofty ambitions. But yeah, it, it, it hurts if you can't. Like, if, if you're not wanted. Yeah. Well, I wasn't wanted by 52 people and actually make that 55 because I got um, I got fired from three from jobs. three you did get. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got uh, two questions around this. So one, thankfully, we know it's a, it, it's, it's a story with a happy ending and I'd love to hear a little bit about how when you are rock bottom for anyone who's feeling like the world has dropped out of theirs, mm. how you can start that recovery. And equally, if you have someone in your life who you can see is there. People were saying, get your shit together. What should we be saying? Yeah, don't say that. It's mm. a fucking horrible thing to say. Because the thing for most people is, firstly, they know they're in a shit place. And secondly, they don't want to be in a shit place. Do you know what I mean? Like I had so much shame around the position I was in that it was horrible. Like I've, I'm putting so much pressure on myself trying to come up with answers at, like of what my next move is. I don't need any external pressure. So really what is the simplest question and the most effective question that you can ask when someone's there is how can I support you? And I don't care how long you've been with someone because it could be different from day to day. Sometimes it's like literally just, you know, give me space. Like I just need to do my own thing. Sometimes it's just like sit with me and just just hang out. Sometimes it's like I want to workshop, you know, I'm trying to come up with some ideas. So I don't care how long you've been with your partner. Don't underestimate the impact of that question. And the second question you asked? Well, just if you are, if you are someone who's in that position like you were, mm. how did you not stay under the covers and curl up in a ball? And thankfully, you know, we do, you don't have, although you had thoughts, some people have obviously got way more suicidal tendencies. I've been down and down and down, but I've never tipped into that realm where some people that would be a default setting. Yeah. And so I think, like, I honestly, I haven't spoken about this bit on any podcast or even anything I've written. I think the fact that I, at that point, had done about two years of proper study around mindset and coaching was probably... What saved you? I think so. Mm. And, yeah, it's the first time, it, like, it's quite hard to say, but, you know, to have that thought of, like, it'd be easier just to jump. Like, the pressure that I was getting, and, again, not intentional, but the pressure I was getting, I was like, this is, like, I get why guys jump mm. and it would be easier for me to jump. Yeah, and, and I think also being a bit older sometimes helps. You know, totally. you, God yep. forbid you see all these, you know, young teenagers and you just know it, it is going to get better. But at that time, however you feel is is magnified by 100. Everything's mortifying. Everything's horrendous. Mm. Everything's, you know. Um, yeah. So how did you get up in the morning? Like what did you do? Yeah. Did you make a plan? or? Well, so for me, one of the, the things that really helped me through was a deep understanding of what I value. And every time my mind wandered, you know, because you're 30, what was that time? 34, 35, and you've got nothing to your name. You've got no idea what the fuck you're doing with your life. Like, 
you know, the social conditioning part of it also tells you that life should look a certain way. Oh, you should be married age. by now, have a couple of kids or, yeah. you know, whatever, or at least yeah, just, yeah. you know, a good good super savings. Yeah. So that part, you know, is, is, an, is an added pressure that you really don't need at that time. But for me, you know, one of the big things um, that really got me through is a deep understanding of what I value. And I was like, okay, so every time my mind wanders to the future and it literally looked bleak, you know, I've heard people say it looks dark and it looks bleak. And I was like, is that just an analogy? I used to look at the future and it literally looked bleak. And I was like, fuck, okay, come back to today. What can I do just to win the day? And then, you know, really a lot of it came with hope and faith that tomorrow would be slightly better. But for me, it was a case of, okay, what do I value? Well, I value exercise. I value nutrition. I value sleep. I value growth. I value nature. And I value connection. So if I can hit those six touch points each day, each day, then I'll get up tomorrow. I'll, I'll win the day and I'll get up tomorrow and hope that's a little bit better. Yeah, so, so ta- me, even taking your shoes off, put your feet on the grass, you yep. know, just anything small, I agree with you. You can just shift your state, can't you? Massively. And for me, get out and get some vibe. You know, at that time it was summer. I would just, you know, I was dish pig at my brother's um, cafe and on a lunch break I'd just go and get some sun and sit in, in the grass. You know, I'd train at um, the gym that we um, had built together, which was his um, at that stage, you know, do what I can to, I've never had any problems with sleep, which I feel so fortunate about. It was never a problem, like nine to five. And it was just chip away, like chip away. And again, so much hope and faith came that at some stage things were going to open up. And to be fair, you know, I think you, you know this, and for anyone who's struggling, is she can turn around real quick. Like, well, that's what I think is so great about your story to, mm. you know, it, it isn't going to, ha- it doesn't have to be a 10 year battle and recovery. Um, no. So how long do you reckon from absolute flat to feeling good again, laughing and actually going, fuck, my life is good? Well, September 2019, I was in hospital with meningococcal and that's when I bottomed out. And September 2020, I was in Byron Bay with Genoa having time my life, like absolute time my life. So, so that's for me, great. That was 12, a 12 months. Month turnaround. Yeah. And, you know, I was literally, um, you know, for those listening, I'm kind of moving house today. And literally was just laughing with Janara. I was like, mate, you know, there's, there's, there's a limiting part of my mind that is scared of how good life is now. Where every month, literally for the last six or seven months, I've said to Janara, I'm like, I don't know if I can get better. And then we're moving into this house together with, you know, two of our really good friends. And I just, like, probably three or four hours ago, I was just laughing. I'm going, dude, another month, it just gets better. You know, and part of me is kind of scared of how good it is, but... But that's also. Pro- also probably because you're tapping into, although some of it's a fear thing, you're also tapping into gratitude and, and, and yeah. being aware, which is great because most of the time we do realise we are pretty privileged with a lot of things. Even when there are things that are shit, there's still one or two things we can usually squeeze out that um, are better than other people. Um, okay, let me see what else I got here. It's kind of jumping a bit back and forth, but... I, I gave um, some of your advice from one of the stories um, that you gave the other day. And it was a friend of mine and she was really struggling with her brother. She'd fallen out with him. He ripped her off, you know, stolen money. And she was like, I can't, I just can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. Mm. He just lied and he lied and he lied. And I watched your story about um, lying and shame. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? Because yeah, yeah. for her, that suddenly gave her a little daughter okay, maybe I can forgive him mm. if you frame it like that. So maybe just give us a bit of context about that. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I personally don't think we have the best understanding of shame as a collective. And, 
you know, we're quick to um, jump the gun when other people lie and very um, accommodating when we have our own our own white lies. But the reality is I think all of us lie in some way, shape or form. And you obviously know that the bit I'm talking about, I think every single one of my clients has lied at some point and lying from a, what's that, sorry? To you or just generally? No, lied to me, (laughs) lied to me. Um, Because when you look behind the lying, most of the time there's a level of shame. So if I say, how did you eat this week? And you've like, you know, absolutely tore shreds off apple pies and ice cream and everything but you said you were going to have green smoothies and there's probably a level of, you know, shame, guilt, fear, judgment that comes with that. And you may bend the truth a little bit, which essentially is a form of lying. So for me, it doesn't necessarily um, allow or, or, or give, you know, right necessarily to lying, but it does have, give me a deeper understanding of what's going on. And for most people, it's a level of shame. So, you know, we as a collective have got a really interesting relationship with, shame in that we're always trying to be perfect when really if we can come back to like how do I actually integrate all parts of me and I know you do this really well how do I integrate you know all parts of me the ugly parts the kind of weird you know elusive parts and really as a collective what we should be working towards is wholeness as opposed to perfect because perfect is like okay well I'm going to hide this bit because that's not right and I'm going to make things look a little bit shinier whereas wholeness is like okay how do I bring that part in and, and have a better relationship with it? And how do I bring that in? And all of a sudden you have a relationship with all parts of you instead of having shame around it. So for me, when I'm thinking about it now and, and the context that I look at lying with, it's like, okay, how can I create a really comfortable environment where they don't have to come to me and lie and I can create an environment where they can openly discuss the shame that they've got around not meeting certain criteria or things that they did that they weren't proud of, whatever it may be. So instead of coming at them with accusations, assumptions, finger pointing, and essentially shaming them on top of the shame that they've already yeah, well, got If you're in the shame dungeon, you do not, shame you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a horrible yeah. place to be. Yeah, you're already, you're already in the shame spiral and then your spiral just got made worse because someone's coming hard at you it's not going to be an effective tool for you, for them to kind of open up and step into that shame that they're already feeling. And when you talk about opening up, um, you always talk about the holding space for people. It's it's the word that is used. Is that just listening? Tell me more it about is, holding it space. Is, it is a very um, strong term this year, kind of like triggered was last year, I think, in the coaching space. So, yeah, holding space, it, it's without kind of complicating it, it really is listening. And the reason people are like, oh, yeah, of course I listen. But for most people, there's listening with the intent to speak, listening with the intent to give their opinion, listening like but kind of half present, when really if you're fully present listening with the intent to understand and you're just there, that is a completely different energy to what most people actually put forward. Because, you know, you, you watch a conversation and it's like one person's getting excited, one's almost talking over the other one and it's just like this absolute clusterfuck of like two voices at each other as opposed to really sitting back, acknowledging the person exactly where they're at and allowing them to speak properly, fully and for them to be seen. And again, being seen is probably another common term that's getting used a lot in the coaching space where what's, you know, when you allow someone to be seen, what's going on? 
behind the words, behind the mask, behind all the carry-on? Like what, what is really happening for them? And, you know, I don't know how many people um, in your world you could honestly say really see you, but you know that feeling or, or pe- yeah, yeah. And you know that feeling when someone really sees you. It's like you could see them from across the other side of the room and it's just like this knowing or it's like, a, a you know, a small nod or an, a bit of eye contact and you're like, I get you, I see you, and I'm here for you. And oh, it's an absolute privilege. I mean, if if if, if you've yeah. got, you know, if you can count on your hand, you know, two, three people that you can call at three o'clock in the morning who will come to your rescue, or that you can actually be really irrational with and blubbing mm. or screaming or just being a complete deckhead to, and they're like, okay, um, as you say, though, I think most of us we are um, trained to when people come to us, and men especially because they're there to fix mm. problems, but. The first thing when I have friends telling me, oh, I'm having this problem with this guy, I, 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 oh, you should do this. And so in a way, I was listening to some podcasts and they were saying, no, you shouldn't necessarily just leap in and give people advice. Sometimes they don't want advice. I'm big now, and, and at, at times it can be challenging as well. I'm big on like just waiting and just waiting and just waiting and just waiting. And if they want advice, I'll give it. But we're so, we, we are as a collective, I think, really um, hell-bent on giving our opinion. Whereas a lot of people actually don't want it. And this is obviously, mm. as you mentioned, super common in the male-female ratio. And, you know, there's been books literally written about it, about, you know, blokes. Part of the masculine is problem solving. So for a bloke until he's well-trained or retrained to just sit there and just acknowledge her for exactly what she's saying and not try to fix it is rare, but is obviously an amazing um, feeling, I assume, coming from the feminine as well. And, you know, in, in previous relationships once i learned this important part it was really a case of like if you want my opinion ask for it otherwise i'm just going to sit here and listen to you and um have you be seen and as you like to coin the term hold space but well, again super it's, common and, and men as well i mean because we do communicate differently i wrote a, a post about how to communicate better with men and women we we like to validate each other so we do talk across each other oh yeah yeah no no i know and then the, oh yeah that's like this and it's it's quite unrelaxing but that's kind of our way of i hear you i know i've been there whereas mm. men apparently it's like the opposite you you just got to alison armstrong i think she says you gotta let them go down to the well so when you think they've finished talking just say nothing and then yep. let them go down there and bring up another nugget of how they're feeling uh, which <laughs> yeah. i like um she's brilliant actually and she's just like you just want to watch her mm. um so anyone who doesn't know her i definitely if you're not checking out her books if you're one of those people who doesn't read um <laughs> then she's got loads of uh videos on her instagram now um i think that in terms of perfection you actually said, I think a few years ago, you thought you were perfect and now you've mm. been humbled. And I, I definitely see a huge change in you. Like we've always got on brilliantly, but there was definitely, I felt because my behavior was probably not as regimental as yours. And I was more prone to, yeah, drop the nutrition, have too many drinks, uh, complain in exercise, etc. But I felt that there was this kind of... Um, you know, a slight superiority thing, <laughs> you know? And I was like, fuck you, I'm older than you. Um, so... That's the one thing I find in that self-development space, like Mark Manson, Jordan Peterson, who I like, even though a lot of people hate him. All those guys, which I know are very masculine sort of self-development, they are so smug. They all kind of act like they've had, well, we've sorted it out. We used to be like this, but now we're set. What do you think about those guys? Because I know you follow a lot of them. Do you, mm. do you see that lack of, they're sort of a little sort of pompous? Oh, absolutely. And I think judgmental is the word you're looking for before. Um it's 
it's super common, you know, Janelle and I talk about a lot and even in, you know, Janelle, who's my business partner in, in, in his space of meditation, which you would think is the most like humble in space, mate, the amount of gurus in that space who just think that they like are literally on a different planet. And I think one of the, you know, one of the real challenges and, you know, that I've um, <laughs> dated some people in the space is if a lot of people drink you, your Kool-Aid, it gets challenging not to start drinking your own. You know, like you really need a diverse group of people around you who can kind of, you know, keep you grounded. Um, and this is obviously, you know, quite ironic for me because I'm working more and more into kind of a healthier relationship with the ego. And, and I obviously needed to eat a lot of humble pie in order to get into this position where I now can see the version of me three or four years ago. But it is really challenging, you know, having seen it firsthand a lot when everyone is bowing to your every um, you know, thought, belief, whatever it may be. Um, not Hard to not to get to caught up in it. Yeah. So, I, 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 you know, I've got full respect for those that don't because, um, like I said, I've been around certain people that have a lot of people drinking their Kool-Aid and it's, it's a really challenging space not to start to kind of actually believe it, the bullshit. Now, in terms of the Kool-Aid, now we agree on many things. You are better at some things. I have a different approach to some things. But, Mr. Worrell Thompson, yes. you weren't going to get away without, we just need to touch on this incessant stream on your Facebook of anything related to COVID conspiracies oh, and vaccines. Now, do you actually believe all this stuff you post or do you just like to poke the bear? I just want to be clear. I used to post shit just to poke the bear. That's obviously like a, a part of me that really needed some dysfunctional um, carry on. But these days I do it from a place of um, pure belief. And that, <laughs> that caused Shit. a lot of um, <laughs> hatred, disappointment, frustration, anger, fury in 2020. And it's interesting that like a difference in opinion can actually ruin friendships and relationships and bits and pieces. I like what days. you said the other day. Um, you were saying just because I don't like your opinion doesn't mean I don't like you. And I thought that's, mm. I mean, simple but genius, really, because people do. They get so passionate and riled up that they can't see the wood for the trees. Um, I, I did a little bit of reading today about people who yeah. believe conspiracy theories. Mm. Um, and what I found interesting and very much I don't think aligns with you is it said generally people who do get sucked into some of these conspiracy theories and um, just for context Blake posted about the uh, moon landing original moon landing not being real so he's really yeah drinking the Kool-Aid uh, and it said that people who buy into these are really rigid thinkers really mm. conservative very um, and, and I don't think you're a rigid thinker at all I mean you can't be in this space and be mm. a real um, you know, Trump supporters are conspiracy theorists. Mm. Like it's out there. And yet you're in Byron Bay. So there's a lot of confirmation bias going on and everything up there. Yeah. So let, let's just talk about a couple of them. I'm not going to talk about the moon landing because that's too ridiculous. Because then the moon landing after that becomes Auschwitz and we think that doesn't exist. And that's like, it goes. Have you seen people go crazy? Went to the moon? Like, yeah, I know. It, it does look ridiculous. But I've also okay. watched a, some long documentary about why they talk about the shadows and what that guy called, can't remember did it all so but i i watched the documentary and i disbelieved it okay um, let's right. talk about covid okay go go put it on me so as you know i went and had my pfizer vaccine very proudly last week um did my reading 
like it was like when I had a kid, I did all the reading. I decided I was going to, you know, use this doctor. I was going to have a cesarean mm. for this reason. Um, so I did my reading about AstraZeneca and Moderna and Pfizer and risks and risks versus this and da, da, da. And I made my informed decision. Mm. So I was really happy with it. And I've been kind of saying to anyone, you know, I think it's great. I didn't have any side effects. I've had lots of friends who have from the AstraZeneca, mm. just, you know, annoying ones, like when you have the flu vaccine. What is it about? Are you an anti-vaxxer across all things or just with this? Nah. So one thing that gets really confusing is I'm pro-choice and there's a, there's a really big difference. I, For me, if you look into the human body, there is no way that we can possibly know the long-term implications of something that was played within the lab for the last 12 months. I agree. And... and I, if you go into a lot of the research around, you know, the statin drugs, the um, even the antidepressants, there is a lot of suing that has happened to pharmaceutical companies over the last 60, 70 years that really made it comfortable for me not to trust in them. Yeah, Mainstream I mean, I media. agree with you. Big Pharma, I have, a, I have an issue yeah. with, certainly. I don't think anyone could disagree if they really mm. looked into it. So for me, the three things that I'm really passionate about, Big Pharma, the governments and mainstream media. And those three literally came together nicely in 2020. So it had me heightened and triggered for a lot of the, the year. But for me, you know, one of the one of the challenges is that, and, and I know um, a lot of people that are of the mainstream belief get really kind of um, triggered by this, is for me, I do think that we have lost our ability to critically think. You know, even I posted the other day, some um, uh, some experts saying don't don't do your own research. Like what the fuck? This is our health, and we're going to and like, it's your body. I agree. Yeah, and you're telling us not to just like do our own research, just to accept, wave the white flag, and accept it. So for me, I'm okay if you can go and do your, um, you know, your unbiased research and make a decision from that place. If you want to go down that path, that's fine. My big message and and this is probably actually a really good point you bring up, which I probably haven't stated, is make a, 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 an informed decision with all the research in front of you. Mm. Don't, but don't believe mainstream media, don't believe the government, and don't believe pharma. If you go and do your own research and you decide that it's best for you, cool. At least I feel comfortable. Like you, you know I'm fucking passionate about health. And if you're just trusting big pharma, with the billions of dollars that they've been sued, billions, that's with a B, billions of dollars that they've been sued over the last 60 years from like fucking people up, you know, the deaths, all of that stuff. I think it was 2013, the number one killer in the US was um, wrongly prescribed medi me um, medication. Yeah, I told my, Tom was actually talking to someone yesterday and she, she works for a law firm and all they do is malpractice suits with doctors yep. and, the, and the fuck-ups they make. And that's because we're human beings. Mm. Um, so th the interesting thing that this is different than, and I agree, we don't have the long-term effects, mm. um, but we're, time is of an essence. We're okay here in mm. Australia, but for the rest of the world, certainly. I just find it weird that they would inject our most highly trained professionals, like all the doctors and the healthcare workers, if they did not think it was safe. Like mm. there is no other medication that has been given to all the highest doctor and health professionals 
compared to this. So that's for me, you know, and that isn't something that I've researched why or whatever, but mm. I was like, they're not going to fucking kill all the doctors. <laughs> no. The, the challenging thing, um, if you like, if you spend lots of time looking into how research is actually done, is it's it's so corrupt. There's a really good book called Lost Connections, and a guy called um, I forgot his name, uh, jo- Johan Hari, who talks about it. A lot of the research that gets cleared is because the big farmer pay the researchers. To, to produce and the results that they want produce, in the report. Yeah. And, and look, I, I'm even guilty of doing that in my blog. Mm. If I'm writing a blog about something, I'm not seeking out a completely unbiased set of info. I'm, I'm finding stuff that's going to validate the funny point I made at the beginning. So mm. I agree with that. But, like, I did look up today. So in Australia, yeah. and I had to get, like, my percentage calculator out here. <laughs> okay. So in terms of, like, the blood clots and yep. the AstraZeneca, and that's loads of my friends now are like, I don't want to get AstraZeneca, and I, I totally mm. understand. But... This is how, again, the research is blown out and, you know, Channel 9 ah, will suddenly, you know, use emotive words to get us all freaked out. (laughs) So they were saying that there were 24 cases of blood clots out of 2.1 million doses. Mm. Um, So that is a 0.001% chance. Mm. Um, In terms of how many cases we've had in Australia, we've had 30,063 cases, 900 deaths. That's a 3% chance. So to mm. me, I'm like, oh, I know th- the chance of us now getting COVID then p- changes that as well. Mm. Um, but we, we can't say it's not a dangerous thing. There are 2,000 people a day dying in India, and they're not just mm. all the old age pe- people that you think we're going to die anyway or pre-existing. So like, do you think you're in more of a kind of comfortable space with all of it because we're in such a lucky country and we're not surrounded by dead bodies? <laughs> Potentially as well. And I think one of the, you know, one of the real challenging things is we may ne- like, not even we may never know the truth. We will never know the truth around the numbers. And that's not to say that this is all like a hoax. Clearly, mm. like there's some serious shit going on. It's just, yeah, I guess it comes back to pro-choice and doing your own research. And for me, you know, as, as um, cynical as this may sound, I don't believe fucking word that comes out of mainstream media it's so difficult to find even when yeah. you're trying to find the real thing and you start reading and you're like fuck this is wikipedia Why? Yeah. this is not facts so yeah, yeah no i totally get it and look I, I, what i like is that we agree to disagree you know mm. i write narky comments on your facebook and, <laughs> and and you you just say yeah sure whatever you think charlotte um i think that's what tri- and i was like why does this trigger me so much and I realised it now when you said something. You just said, you know, people who have mainstream thinking as if you're a sheep, but we're clever people who research. And I think it's, I think that's what it is. It makes me think Sorry. like, oh, don't make me put me with everyone like I'm just a damn ass. <laughs> and, and to be honest, um, that, that for me comes from a wounded place because I've always been the minority. And if you look at the way that, um, you know, some really interesting research, I, my client before you literally is on the same thinking of, of me and she kind of explained it but if if you're in the minority you're often um there's a level of patronizing and dismissiveness that comes with oh you're a conspiracy theorist with your your fucking tinfoil hat so for so long the conspiracist theorist quote unquote has been you know the the, the butterfly jokes you know, patronise, whatever it may be. So it's almost like, you know, another... So you get triggered by the opposite that I get triggered by. Totally, totally. Like we've... And I've been, you know, a lot of my thinking and the way I do things has been in the minority for a large part of my life. 
So I've been, you know, the stupid one and whatever it may be. So when it's role reversal, then it's like, fuck, now, now it's on. Now it's on. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I honestly, I will say that this is how unevolved I am. I've only realised probably in the last four years, talking of triggers, that to, there's a lesson in everything that annoys us. Mm. Um, and it's kind of, it's almost liberating when you realise that because one, you go, oh, shit, it's actually about me and I can find out about myself and get better. And equally, what other people do has nothing to do with us. And totally. that's really relaxing to realise that. <laughs> it, it just reframes everything that happens. Well, you know, it, that it, person's it, horrible to you in the street and it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that. My client just before, similar thing of relationships. And, you know, I said to him, mate, it's nothing to do with her. Do you know what I mean? All she's doing is mirroring back to you your stuff, whether it's a wound, trigger, insecurity, whatever it may be. It's not about that person. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, and, and I know you're big on growth, is we like growth, but we like growth on our terms. Mm. So I can pick up a book and not be triggered by it and, you know, learn some beautiful things. But when my partner triggers, you know, an insecurity or a wound or whatever, oh, I don't like growth now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's a very different thing. So, Oh, yeah. So, so they're trying to teach you something. You're like, no, 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 I don't want to hear oh, it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to hear about that. It's upsetting me. But in that, you know, if you look at a lot of the great philosophers, they're of the belief that, you know, a big part of the relationship is for growth. And if you can see everything that comes from your partner that annoys you, frustrates you, angers you as something that is probably already actually established within you, from you know earlier years, they didn't create it; they just brought it to light. Then you get an opportunity to step into it, heal it, you know, work on the wounds, triggers, whatever it may be. I give this really basic example of, you know, let's say that you organise a gardener, and they're meant to come to your house and you know do the gardening. You get home that afternoon, and the gardener hasn't done anything. What's your first story? Oh, the gardener doesn't respect me. You've got no idea. The gardener might have like. Something's happened phone, to his kid. Car crash. Yeah. But the first story tells you a lot about what's already going on for you. So if they don't, if you believe that they don't respect you. Then respect is an issue that you have. Yeah, respect okay, yeah. is an issue that they've just highlighted for you. You know, it's nothing about the gardener. So then you go, okay, I just realised that I have a problem with, you know, people not respecting me. Most likely, you know, a deeper problem that I don't respect myself. That's the problem that I go and you know work on for the next one, two, three months, whatever it may be. So, do you think about this all the time, Blake? Because it's, it's, it's kind of exhausting, works. isn't <laughs> it? This is how my mind works. People <laughs> like I've got good friends who are like two minutes ago you were talking about like cars, and now you're talking about like soil. Like, like <laughs> this is how my brain works. It's hard. It's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to keep up. Do you drink caffeine? No, I'd be so much Fuck no. <laughs> Don't need any of that. No. Um, well, I have loved chatting with you, Blake. I think I've probably kept you over enough. There's stuff I wanted to carry on talking about, which means I have to get you back on another time. Love yeah, to. are you happy to do that? Picture. It's been hey. really nice chatting to someone I know as well. Um, um, don't see you enough, but. Um, uh, everyone who's listening, I'm going to put in the show notes uh, all the details about Blake's fabulous courses, Limitless and the Momentum Men's course. So please have a look on there. I know that you do like 15 minute free calls so you can actually vibe and see if you get on with Blake, see if he can help you because, you know, sometimes it isn't the right fit. And mm. certainly you've only got a certain amount of hours in the day. 
Um, but I've definitely seen a lot of people and people who I would never have thought would go into that space. Um, uh, there's a guy who dated my sister briefly um, who has had terrific results and they're people who, who aren't self-helpy people or growth people. So it definitely isn't something that needs to be scary or intimidating. And um, as I'm sure you've heard, Blake is fab. He won't give you the jab, but he will give you a lot of great <laughs> advice. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Over and out. That's all the time we have. This podcast is brought to you by the fine people, well, me, at thinrichhappy.com. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Or if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, which will help other people find the podcast. For extra podcast goodies, you can visit belesscrap.com.